Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67, and we're going to do part two of what we did last week, talking about the convergence of missions and prayer and what the Lord is continuing to unfold within our generation. Look at some things from Psalm 67, and really my heart in this is to encourage us in the place of prayer and intercession before the Lord. If you're looking at your Bibles, Psalm 67, verse 1. Now, I see three stages in Psalm 67 to the unfolding purposes of the Lord. Number one is that the gospel goes forth with great power. Stage number two is that as the gospel goes forth, it produces prayer and worship singing in the nations. That's the purpose of the missions movements of the earth. That's the purpose of the Great Commission is to produce prayer and singing where there is not prayer and singing and worship. Stage three, after the Lord's return, his government continues to increase in the earth and into all of the created order through partnership with prayer and singing even after the coming of the Lord. That's a new idea maybe to many people because some people think, We'll do worship in the age to come, but we won't really have an assignment much beyond that. Our job is to just kind of worship God and sway back and forth, and and that's kind of it. But the scripture makes it very clear that after the coming of the Lord, the saints will work with Jesus in the millennial kingdom on the earth to further the knowledge of the glory of God until it fills every region of the globe and until it fills the entire cosmos, the created order. And I'm, I really mean the cosmos. I mean every galaxy, solar system, all of the created order will come under the governance and the lordship of Christ, and his glory will be known throughout all of the universe. Let's look at Psalm 67. God be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. Now these sound like kind of normal bedtime prayers that we pray over our families and our children. Be merciful. But each of these words is dynamically connected to the purposes of God revealed throughout the scripture back to Abraham about the blessing and the salvation of the Lord being released in the nations of the earth. So don't sleep on these phrases. And I go into uh, a little bit more on those later in the notes. I don't know if we'll get to it today. Verse two, that your way would be known on earth and your salvation would be known among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you. See, as the salvation goes forth of verse two, it causes the people in verse three to praise the Lord. Why is that important? Because look down in verse four, as the nations rejoice in the gospel and as they sing to God, the Lord releases his justice or his judgments on the earth. He releases his justice in concert with the saints, even the new believers, rejoicing in the God of Israel and declaring and making known his ways. He releases his power. He releases his judgments. He makes the wrong things right through partnership with the saints in singing and worship. Remarkable. He will govern the nations of the earth, the end of verse four. 
Verse five, now the Lord returns because now he's governing the nations. And the people are still continuing to praise the earth. And then the earth, the created order, begins to respond to the justice of God. And the Lord begins to transform the broken down earth that's under the weight of the curse. And he begins to radically transform it after the return of Jesus. The earth begins to yield its increase. Romans 8 talks about this. God will bless us and all of the ends of the earth shall fear the Lord. That means they'll fully put their trust in him. I mean, it means more than that, but it means that every corner, every household, every man, woman, and child knows and fears Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask for the light of your word to shine upon our hearts. We ask for the infilling of your spirit, your presence in a fresh way, and that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us fresh insight, that you would set us all the more into our destinies in you, that we would see the part that we play in your great inheritance and what you're unfolding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, under this next session, I basically break down those three stages, just give a quick overview of them, but look down at number two, a dynamic convergence. There is a dynamic convergence that's occurring of radical missions and prayer as the Lord is bringing these two streams and emphasis together in a profound way in our day, and it's happening now more than ever, and it's going to continue to happen all the more. The Lord is gonna bring these two streams to the full maturity that he intends and the full power that he longs to release. He's going to release it through the missions movements of the earth, through local churches and church planting and missionaries. He's going to connect it with the power and prayer of intercession together. And it's through missions and prayer that the purposes of God are going to go forth in that last day's generation before the coming of the Lord. Now look at this verse in Psalm 110, verse three, because these are no just normal people that the Lord is calling forth. He says, your people will be volunteers in the day of power. As the Lord releases his great power of justice and might and salvation so that the earth knows who they're dealing with, Jesus, before he comes, he says, I'm gonna raise up volunteers all across the nations of the earth. Now what's interesting about this word volunteers is that the other two times in the Old Testament it's used, it's used to describe plentiful, a plentiful abundance. So as the Lord raises up these last days missionaries, prayer warriors, intercessors, there's going to be a multitude of them. It's going to be plentiful and then point number two, the other time that that's word used, it's used to describe the free will offering, the voluntary offering that the nation of Israel would bring to the temple. It was not the tithe, what was required of the Lord, it was above and beyond. So I've got some good news and bad news for you today. The good news is that God has declared over your life that you're going to be a free will offering to him. <laughs> The bad news is that God has declared over your life that you're going to be a free will offering to him. 
And it doesn't take a student of the word, a deep student of the word to understand the nature of a sacrifice and an offering is that the sacrifice and an offering doesn't have much of a choice in the matter. So God has enlisted you and he's called you. And when you gave your life to Jesus, whether it's at VBS camp or your coworker led you to the Lord or you got saved through some evangelistic outreach, when you gave your life to Christ, you resignated your rights. You gave your life away to him. And I think a lot of Christians are still figuring that out and the implications of that. You go talk to somebody that's been walking with the Lord for 30 and 40 years and say, man, I, I kind of misunderstood this whole thing. I thought that Jesus was there to bless my life and forgive my sins. They're like, oh yeah, but there's a whole lot more. You signed a blank check away to Yahweh. You gave your life on the altar, a holy divine altar, and he took your commitment very seriously. He goes, well, you just entered into a covenant with me. It's a marriage covenant, you can't get out. It's me and you to the end, baby. <laughs> and the Lord is gonna call in those blank checks that we've prayed to God. You know, when we're 16, 17 years old, many believers, you know, they, they're saved, 16, 17, they make these violent commitments to the Lord. Like, Lord, take me anywhere, do anything to me, I don't care. And we imagine that once we like get married and we settle down, we have a mortgage and we're like working full time, that somehow the Lord forgot those prayers. That he's just like, well, you didn't really understand. And he's like, no, 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 I understand far more than you understand. I'm gonna have volunteers in the day of power. You're a free will offering to me. Your life is mine. Your finances are mine. Your sexuality is mine. Your children are mine. Your work is mine, your labor is mine, it's all mine. And what we need to do is we need to realize and see the goodness of God that when we surrender everything to him as a free will offering, when we go, it's all yours anyway, just do, what, do with me as you want, God, is that his plans are the best possible plans for your life. Have you considered the life of the prophets? Imagine that you are all the Old Testament prophets and I just said that. His plans are the best possible plans for your life. They're like, amen. Jonah, you know, his skin is all burned from being in the belly of a whale for three days. He's like, amen. That was the best possible outcome for my life was to be eaten by a fish, digested for a while and spit out. But for real, God's, plan for us when we present ourselves as a free will offering before him it is the best possible plan it is the it is the the absolute wisdom that we could say yes to is to surrender ourselves to him and be wherever we wherever he sends us and a lot of people we sing that song put me anywhere put your glory in me i'll serve anywhere let me see your beauty we sang it here i saw you guys singing it so you're on the hook for this. Not to me. Put me anywhere. I saw all of your mouths moving a few weeks ago when we sang that song, man. The Lord knows that. He goes, I've put you exactly where you're supposed to be. A lot of people don't like that because they don't like where they are. The Lord is working something in you and he's called you to a purpose. He's called you to this spiritual family. And this spiritual family is a praying spiritual family. We do a lot of things, but we pray. And the Lord has enlisted you 
as part of your free will offering, when you surrendered everything and you moved here from Colorado, when you surrendered everything and you moved here from Korea, the Lord has enlisted you into this family to engage in the family business and engage in the mandate over this house to keep a 24-7 prayer sanctuary and to keep pray and contend and labor for the purposes of God to come forth in our generation. So I'm calling you to that. Paragraph B, IHOP KC holds a deep and important relationship with the Youth with a Mission Ministry. Many of you have heard of that, YWAM. And as a spiritual family, we have a commitment to stand with the purposes of God because this is what Psalm 67 is talking about. It's the prayer and the worship that releases the justice of God, that leads the harvest, that leads to salvation. And we've made a commitment to YWAM. We've, we are taking our stand before heaven and we're asking God to release his power on the, this particular mission movement and many others in the earth. We want to see God anoint men and women with power to proclaim his works, to testify of the gospel of Christ so that Jesus can receive his inheritance, amen? Some of you don't know the story of YWAM, but in 1956, Lauren Cunningham, who is the founder of YWAM, had an open vision before the Lord. He recounts this vision where he saw waves crashing on all the continents of the earth. Then he would see the waves receding from those continents and then crashing again, but further this time and further and further until all the continents were covered with these waves. He says, I saw these waves. They became young people. They were kids my age, even younger. They were covering the continents. They were going house to house and they were preaching. And the idea is they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a dynamic relationship between the missions movements and the prayer movements. Look at page two in Matthew chapter nine. Jesus says to his disciples, he says that the harvest is plentiful, meaning souls and hearts are ready to receive the news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And they're poised to not just become disciples of God, but worshipers of God. We'll talk more of that later. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are few laborers that are ready to go into the mission field and into the harvest field. We talk mostly in terms of missions in the nations of the earth, but also there is missions in your own neighborhood and in your own job and workplace. You need to see it as a mission field. High schoolers in public school, you need to see your public schools as a mission field before the Lord and that maybe God has not just plopped you there, but maybe he's sent you into the place that you're at. Maybe you work as an auto mechanic. Maybe you work doing taxes. What if God sent you into a harvest field where you are to proclaim and be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you see yourself in that way? Well, anyways, Jesus is saying the laborers are few. And then in verse 38, this is where we come in in a strategic way. He says, therefore, pray. Pray. Why are we praying? We're praying.
praying that laborers would be sent into the harvest. We're praying that those laborers would be anointed with a Luke 4.18 anointing to preach the gospel and do signs and wonders. We're praying that Jesus would receive his full inheritance in the nations of the earth. He says, pray that the Lord of harvest would send laborers into his harvest. Number two, YWAM has an estimated 20,000 full-time missionary workers in the nations of the earth. 20,000, it's probably a lot more than that. 20,000 men, women, young, old that are in the nations of the earth as laborers and one of our assignments is to cover them and to ask the Lord to release his power in the nations. They have 1,500, an estimated 1,500 missions bases. I think it's across 200 or more nations of the earth. According to John Dawson, when he came and spoke here a few years ago, he said there's 207 nations represented among the missionaries of Youth with a Mission. Think about that. Out of those 20,000 missionaries, there's 207 different nations represented among that mission's workforce. That's remarkable. He said this, this struck me, the majority of our staff are from places like Brazil, South Korea, and the middle class of India. So when we take our place holding our commitment to pray and contend, and when you picture missionaries, why win missionaries in the field, let pictures of Brazilian missionaries and Korean missionaries and the middle class of India come to your mind. Not just them, but there is a global movement that God is raising up of laborers in our day. And God wants to see the gospel go forth that every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, every people group would hear and glory in God to sing to him and to sing to the king and to see his justice released on the earth. As an example of some of the things that we've done in concert with YWAM, this is one, but we've done these many times. Number three, YWAM did an impact world tour across New Zealand back in 2004. And they specifically asked that we would pray and target these different cities and the different campaigns and outreaches that they would do. This is obviously years ago, but back in 2004. During that trip, over 25,000 people came to Christ. That's a lot of people. That's the population of Grandview, you know. And we've done this several times with different missions organizations is that there is this cataclysmic effect. There's this cause and effect reality that happens when prayer and mission comes together in this partnership. When we pray, God releases his authority through his servants on the earth. Well, back on May 3rd, just earlier this month, I guess that's earlier this month, I had a dream, and I'm staying at the YWAM base in Kona. That's the what kind of known as one of the headquarters, if not the headquarters of YWAM in Kona. I have a dream while I'm there. Jesus, in the dream, is building a structure, and on his Left, he's bringing together this framed out wall and on his right is another framed out wall. He's bringing them together to join them together in a dynamic partnership. And it says on the walls, it's written YWAM 
on one and IHOP KC on the other. The Lord was strategically bringing these together, and I knew intuitively that as he bolted them together, that they would be joined and that they would be one, yet they would be distinct. Because the body of Christ is many members, but one body. And we all have a part to play in God's purposes in the earth. And one of the most frustrating things for Christians can be wondering why nobody else is doing what we're doing. And we're like, why aren't you doing what we're doing? The Lord's like, well, the hand can't be the eye. And another frustrating thing can be, why are all these other people doing different things? See, and the Lord wants us to be in a spirit of unity with diversity, walking together so that his purposes are accomplished in the earth. The other thing that I understood in the dream was that when you build a structure, it can bear weight and the Lord wants to release the weight of his glory in an increased way, an unusual anointing of the Spirit upon the body of Christ throughout the nations of the earth. But it takes partnership, and it takes unity, and it takes relationship, and it takes us fighting for one another and acknowledging and celebrating the diversity and the unique assignments that the Lord has for the body of Christ while still staying faithful to our own. The other thing that happens when you build a structure and bring two walls together is that it can stand against the winds of resistance. See, that God has ordained that his power and his glory would go forth not through tanks and nuclear missiles, but through missionaries, through the proclamation of the gospel that seems foolish and dumb, and through prayer rooms and prayer meetings and intercessors of the elderly and the young, when we offer up our weak words to God, he says, that's how my kingdom goes forth. That's how I've ordained it to go forth. I'm gonna give you a foolish message to preach, according to Paul, the foolishness of the cross, and I'm gonna call you to a foolish way of spending your time called intercession, get before me and tell me what's already in the word of God. And he says, on those two foolish things, I will confound the wisdom of this age and my purposes will go forth in your generation. And we keep trying to make things unfoolish. We treat, keep trying to make the gospel less foolish than it is to the natural mind. We keep trying to make prayer less foolish than it is to the natural mind. And to the natural mind, it is foolish. That's why it's so hard. That's why we want to give up. That's why we go to the prayer meeting. We're like, 10 minutes in, it's like, when are we out of here? Let's go get some donuts. I mean, it is foolish to the natural mind. God says, I don't care what the natural mind thinks. I'm God. Your ways are not my ways. I'm not waiting for you to weigh in on my strategies of how to turn the cosmos into a glory bomb of who I am. <laughs> no, I'm not waiting. I'm, this, I'm not, I don't need your vote. I've chosen my way. It's through the foolishness of preaching the cross and it's through the weakness of singing and music. He says, that's how I'm doing it. And these streams are coming together and the enemy cannot stop it. He cannot stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail 
over the rock, which is the church, the ecclesia, the purposes of God through the confession of faith and engaging in what he's called us to do. The gates of hell can't prevail. He can use every strategy. He can use war and famine and death and threats and persecution and manipulation and lying, but he cannot prevail. He cannot prevail when the people of God say yes to the simple message, the lifestyle of prayer, fasting, telling the word of God to the people that do not know him. They cannot prevail against him. Let's look at the glory of intercession. God has chosen intercession as the primary means by which he will release his power forever. He desires partnership with his people. That's why he wants you to pray. He wants you to pray because he wants to partner with you. He's God. He's all-powerful. He could do whatever he wants whenever he wants. There's no one to stop him. No one can oppose him. You know that Satan cannot oppose and stand against and stop God. There's no one that can. They're not polar opposites. It's not like colliding equal powers, heaven and hell. They're not colliding equal powers at all. It's only heaven. It's only God. It's only the ancient of days. It's only the one seated above the circle of the earth and thrown past, present, future. No one can dethrone him. No one can upend him. Even if the enemy wins and a bunch of nations, you still can't get Yahweh off his throne. It's not going to, it's impossible. He's unmoved. That's why in Psalm chapter two, the nations are raging. You know, the, the seas are clamoring. It's, there's turmoil, there's confusion, there's rage. The nations are raging. They're, you know, shaking their fists at God. God is seated. He hasn't even gotten up yet. He hasn't even lifted a finger yet. He is so at peace. He is so sure of his plan. He is like, you know, kind of whispering to the Son and the Holy Spirit and the angels. You know, this is made up, of course, but he's just like, you see how the nations are raging down there? Yeah, there's wars, woo, rumors of wars, violence, immorality, drunkenness, drug abuse. I mean, the nations are going down the toilet in a lot of areas, you know? They're all like, yeah. And he's like, I've got a plan, though. They're going to declare the cross of my son. And they're going to tell me what I tell them to tell me. It's called intercession through the word of God. I've already told them everything I want to do. I've told them what I want to do. I'm going to put their words, or, or rather my words in their mouth, and they're going to talk to me about what's in the word of God, and then I'm going to do it in partnership with them. And I'm going to vindicate my people. And I'm going to vindicate my way. I'm going to show the cosmos that you can win by humility. He's the only guy, you know, God, that has a strategy to take over everything by humility and meekness. That doesn't work for anyone else. You don't climb the corporate ladder through humility and meekness. It usually doesn't work unless you're Joseph. Then you're in prison. Then you climb the corporate ladder from prison. There are exceptions to the rule. They don't teach you that at business school, you know? You don't go to Harvard, get a business degree, and they're like, all right, this is the way to do it. Be humble and meek. Let everyone just trample over you. Then God will vindicate you and make you ruler of all things, see? 
It's the wisdom of this age colliding with the wisdom of the age to come. No wonder it's hard. No wonder we're frustrated because we're all trying to use the wisdom of this age to get our agenda done. God's like, no, I've chosen my way. Missions, prayer, the gospel, intercession. Do that and I'm gonna win. And I'm not just gonna win, you're gonna win too. We're gonna win together. You're gonna share in my inheritance, my glory. uh, Intercession is a mystery because it's telling God what he tells us to tell him. It's a mystery because it's weak and it's simple and everybody can do it. Any believer can do it. That's why it's a mystery. Because the ways of man, we're always trying to strategize. We need the super anointed leader with the super anointed this and tons of resources that. And and then we could get the thing done and everybody's going to, what? What are they going to do? He goes, I'm going to do my way. The mystery of intercession. It's going to be a mom crying out before me. No one even knows. No one even hears. Maybe her kids like stumble in. They're like, wow, what's going on? You know? He goes, I'm gonna use moms. I'm gonna use children. I'm gonna use teenagers. I'm gonna use fathers. I'm gonna use men. I'm gonna use women. I'm gonna use the rich. I'm gonna use the poor. I'm gonna use black, white. I'm gonna use every ethnicity across the earth. I'm gonna tell them what to say to me and then I'm gonna answer them. I'm actually answering myself. But I'm going to answer them. I'm going to shift the heavens. I'm going to release my justice. I'm gonna set prisoners free. I'm gonna set them free from the bondage of spiritual prison, emotional prison, physical prison. I'm going to release my justice when my people tell me what I've told them to tell me. Jesus operated in the principles of intercession at creation. And he continues to operate them as he governs the earth. Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. When you picture Christ in heaven, how do you picture him? When you picture Jesus enthroned, I mean, for real, just take a minute and think about it. How do you picture him? Hebrews tells us that he always lives to make intercession. He's in the place of prayer and intercession. See, death doesn't stop intercession from happening. Intercession continues. Jesus himself, the God-man, operates under the powers and the principles of intercession. Look at Psalm chapter two. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. That's not just the Lord talking to us. That's the Father talking to the Son. For many years, I understood this to mean that when we ask God, give me the nations of your inheritance, that means I'm gonna lead people to Jesus on the outreach. But that's not really Jesus giving me the nations or a nation. Imagine Jesus handled you a nation, handed you that, said, here you go. I mean, that would be horrible. Have you ever tried to run a nation? You can't even run the minivan on the way here with everybody fighting in the back. We can barely run our own lives. Y'all fake it, but I know. I can see the look in your eye. Everybody's on the brink of a crazy mental breakdown and like, I'm keeping my head above water. Everything's fine. No one's fine. Our lives are, it's hard to manage our lives. You know, this verse doesn't mean God's gonna give you the nation because you sang the song one time. He's talking about giving Jesus the nations. He wants to give him an inheritance. Obviously, there's continuity, you know, related to eternal reward, age to come. You don't have to send me the email. Okay. 
Isaiah 62 says that the Lord has set watchmen. Mike mentioned this earlier. He has set watchmen. He's appointed intercessors to stand on the wall of intercession and never give him peace. What if this spiritual community, you know, you're written in the history books of heaven. They never gave me peace. The moms cried out. The full-time workers cried out. The people that work at Cheddar's, waiting tables, they cried out to me. They never let me rest because they were so consumed with this spirit of intercession and with making Jerusalem a praise in the earth. They were about me. They resignated their lives to me. Now, then they actually walked it out. They actually surrendered to me. They surrendered to my plans. They surrendered to my purposes. Go to page three. Well, the enemy knows this strategy of the Lord. He knows it really good. You know, the, Satan d- does know the Bible. He argued the Bible with Jesus in the wilderness. So he knows the Bible really, really well, which means we gotta know it even better. So we gotta start reading that thing like crazy. Anyways, the enemy knows the strategy of the Lord. And so what does he do? His primary weapon and tool is accusation. He releases his accusation. He accuses the saints before the throne day and night. Revelation 12 tells us. He accuses his people. He accuses you. He accuses you in your mind. And he accuses you in the mouths of other people. And it doesn't stop. It's day and night. No, there's two day and night realities revealed in the word of God. One is unceasing intercession, and the other is unceasing accusation. They're the opposites of one another. They continually are in or before, I mean, I don't get how it all works, but before the Lord is constant intercession and constant accusation is being brought before the Lord. So the enemy wants to accuse you. Why? Because God And the enemy, they both want your mouth and your tongue and your words. Scripture tells us that the power, the power is put in the tongue. I think it's in uh, Proverbs 18. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So if you're God, what do you want? You want the power of that tongue to sing, to declare, to praise. And if your enemy... The enemy, what do you want? You want that power of that tongue to gossip, to slander, and to complain. So if your tongue is submitted to the Lord, then you're a watchman on the wall, and the Lord is gonna fill your mouth with intercession before him. It's gonna fill your mouth with edification. It's gonna fill your mouth with the gospel of Jesus Christ that you would be salt and light to all the hearers. And the Lord would bring forth the glory of God and the testimony of God through your mouth. And that's how his kingdom goes forward. But if your mouth is surrendered to the enemy, then you're gonna gossip. You're gonna slander. You're going to complain. You're going to accuse others. Because your tongue will either be a tool of accusation or a tool of intercession. And that's why we have to be very careful what we say. We have to be very careful what we think. See, what happens in Zechariah 3 is is that the enemy comes to accuse the servants of God 
and disqualify them. Because he brings before the courtroom, the court scene of heaven, he says, look at their works. Look how defiled they are. Look how messed up their life is. Look how they've come short. They've been cowardly and they've lied and they've cheated and stolen. Look how slimy they are. Those are all the thoughts you probably think when you lay down at night about yourself. That's accusation. And the Lord's answer, his answer is to say, what qualifies my people for intercession, what qualifies my people before me is not their works and their righteous deeds. It's my works and my righteous deeds. God wants to convince you of the gospel so that you could be an intercessor. He wants to convince you that the power of the cross and the exchange of Jesus's clean, holy works is the garment that he puts on you when you put your faith in him. He wants to qualify you so that your mouth becomes the mouthpiece of intercession. Your mouth becomes the mouthpiece of his purposes. He fills your mouth the glory of God, with the praise of God, with the edification of the saints so that his purposes go forth. There's a war going on over your mouth right now. Paragraph C, here's an example. The Bible College of Wales, a man named Reese Howell. There's a book written about him, this story, by a guy named Norman Grubb. It's called The Intercessor. He was a coal miner. He began to travail through fasting and prayer for an alcoholic in his village. Some of you, there are things going in your life that are very negative. Someone's wayward, something's messed up, whatever. We all have that stuff going on in our life. But you have not yet tried fasting and prayer for the breakthrough of God. That's what the Lord has called this movement to. That's what he's called this ministry to. If you're here, that's what he's called you to. Fasting and prayer for the breakthrough of God. We don't need to be sheepish about it. We don't need to dance around it. We need to embrace it. And we need to walk in it. In weakness. But we need to walk in it. Because this is the way of God. So Norman tells this story of Reese Howell. And it's only because of this biography that Reese Howell becomes this well-known figure. And, and this is what I love, is that they were in relative obscurity in this little Bible school in Wales, praying and travailing in the place of intercession. But nobody knew about them. There weren't headlines being written about them. And think about this. In the years of 1914, I mean... You have World War I, the Spanish flu, World War II is about to come, the nation of Israel is about to be birthed. There's some of the most tumultuous times in history. Hundreds of millions of people end up passing away during that time. And the Lord has this little faithful band of intercessors praying and crying out for the purposes of God through the whole thing. It's remarkable. And I'm sure there were other groups like this. But imagine it being 1913, Everyone's blissfully going about their business, not knowing that the earth is about to be ensnared in unimaginable calamity, calamity and be changed forever at the onset of World War II. And yet in the midst of that, God raises up this hidden band of intercessors. 
And what would happen, the stories tell, and I have a website down here that tells more of the stories in detail connected to intercession, is that some event would be transpiring and the intercessors would get a word from the Lord to pray for a specific battle during World War II or pray for some specific strategy to happen. And they would actually wait and they would pray and go into travailing prayer and then there would be a shift that would occur and they would wait for it and it would come in the newspaper that their prayer, not their prayers, but they would see the shift for the very battle or area that they were contending and praying for. Why do I mention that? You could get that book uh, online or in our bookstore. It's called Intercessor. I wanna encourage you to get that book, read that. The reason that I'm mentioning that is because we have a profound calling before the Lord that's mostly hidden and mostly feels weak. It's called day and night prayer and intercession. It's called being a set watchman on the wall, even if it's one set a week or even if it's at home with the web streaming. The Lord has given us a profound calling that his words would fill our mouth as intercessors, that we would partner with his purposes and that we would see them come to pass before our very eyes. Many of you have heard the Luke 4.18 word. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Da, 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 da. Love it, I love that promise. We've got about you know, 15 promises over Kansas City that are really good promises. Love it. I don't want to just be excited about promises. I want to see the promises. I want the sick to be healed. I want every disease known to man to be broken before this people. I want stadiums to be filled. I want the dead to be raised. I want power on the preaching of the word. I want our sons and daughters to walk in the ministry of the Holy Spirit like never before. I want there to be dreams, visitation, angelic encounter. I want our neighborhoods to be set on fire with the gospel of Christ. I wanna see supernatural resources to build the kingdom, build night and day prayer, fuel missions movements in the earth, given here. I want to see it. Beloved, that only comes through the power of intercession. That only comes through the power of intercession. And if we want to see these things, I'm calling us to rise up as a people, to rise up and to lay hold of the promises and to get the words of God in our mouth that we could see them come to pass in our day. Some have been contending for 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. Beloved, I want the mothers and the fathers to see the promises of God before their eyes. I want them to see their inheritance. I want Mike and Diane to walk in it. I want my parents, Kirk and Dee, to walk in it. I want Tracy Bickle to walk in it. I want to see mothers and fathers who have given their life to this, given their life to intercession, given their life to the promises, I want to see it come to pass. I'm excited about words and encouragement. But beloved, there is so much more to be had. We need to be a people that walk in these things, not just have a promise of walking in them. We need to walk in them. 
We need to be a people that really pray, that really fast, that really contend, that really contend for the breakthrough of God in our city and in our generation, amen? Someday we'll get to Psalm 67. I'll have the worship team come out. I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna bring the service to a close. This convergence of missions and prayer is dynamic. There are some that are here that will flow out into the missions and from the missions into here and our kids will be involved and their kids will be involved. But we have been strategically and uniquely positioned of the Lord as a house of prayer. We have been strategically positioned before God with the backing of the grace of God and the help of God to pray day and night and contend for the purposes of God to be released in our generation. I would urge you that if God has brought you here, and he has, that even if you're here for only three months or even if you're here for six months, that you would take your place on the wall of intercession before him that you would find yourself before that throne of grace, that you would find yourself, the, the word tells us to come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace, and that you would see that you have assignment. It may not be your life assignment to do it a full-time way, but there is an assignment that remains for you to join with what the Lord has initiated here and to see the fullness of God's purposes and power released in our city, in our nation, and in the nations of the earth. For him, for the glory of Christ, that his name would be feared and revered and lauded and worshiped and that people would cry when they think about the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. Beloved, I want people to cry. I want them to experience God in the way that I have. I want them to experience the tenderness and the forgiveness and the transformative, life-altering way in which the gospel grabbed a hold of me. And I know you do the same. And that's why we pray. That's why we contend. That's why we don't give up. That's why we don't give God any rest. And then our voice comes to heaven day after day and we're grateful and yet we contend. Lord, release more. Release more. Release the breakthrough of God. Holy Spirit, we stand before you as a spiritual family. And Lord, we love you. We love you. We're in it for love. We love the way you are. We love your leadership. We love your person, your face, your heart, your character. Oh, we're going to glory in you for all of eternity. We love you. We do it all for love volunteers in the day of power, a free will offering. Our life is a sacrifice. Our mouth is a sacrifice before you. It's not our mouth, it's your mouth. Not our prayers, they're your prayers. Not our promises, they're your promises. 
do it. Do it, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would confirm every assignment that is here to the place of intercession and prayer. I ask that you would strengthen those that feel weak. I ask that you would forgive those that feel accused. You would give them fresh garments today, that you would reaffirm them in their calling, that you are the God who sees. You are the God who acts. You're the God who responds at the prayers of your people. Release your power, Lord. Release your glory. Come upon the moms and the young moms. Strengthen them by your spirit. Come upon the dads. Come upon the men of this community. I ask that you would raise up godly men of prayer in this very spiritual family. Let them take their place before you. Let them be strong in the Lord. Let them bear the weight of your promises and see them come to pass. We're gonna worship the Lord for a few moments. If you'd like to receive prayer, your heart is being stirred or you feel discouraged and you need to be refreshed of the Lord, you're going, you know what? The Lord did call me here and I need to be reassigned and re-put on the wall. It's my one hour a week set. It's my 20 minutes before I go to work. I know I'm called to be an intercessor, God. Help me, release grace upon me. We're gonna invite you to come. Stand up here at the front. As some of you are responding, if you're sick in your body and you'd like to receive prayer for healing, I wanna invite you to come up as well. If you'd like to receive prayer in your body, come up as well. Father, we come before you stretch out your hands towards those that are coming forward. Stretch out your hands toward them. Father, we ask you that you would confirm your words to your people, that you would set them with fresh confidence. You'd set them with fresh grace. You'd set them, Lord, men, women, young, old, you'd set them before you. Remind us of your promises. Remind us, Lord, that your promises aren't just far away. There they are, off in the distance, the promises. Hope they get here one day. No, we want them now. We want them now. Lord, touch those that are sick in their bodies, that are battling sickness, illness, chronic fatigue, chronic anxiety chronic pain, paralysis, diabetes. Father, we ask that you would break the power of sickness in the name of Jesus. Break the power of sickness. Show yourself as Jehovah Rapha, the healer. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Come Holy Spirit. I wanna call forth just our ministry team, our friendship group leaders, our zone pastors, missions-based leaders. Please come to the front, we need your help. Come and lay hands on a couple people that are up here. You are worthy of it all. 
Then give 